every software company backs up critical data sources. Backing up databases is a common procedure, whether a company is in the cloud or on-prem. Backing up virtual machine instances is less common. Rubrik is a company that is known for building backup infrastructure for enterprises. Their main product is an appliance that sits on-prem at an enterprise and stores snapshots of virtual machines running within the enterprise. If a virtual machine dies, Rubrik can quickly restore the VM snapshot. The appliance also backs up to the cloud. Kenny Toe is a founding engineer at Rubrik, and he joins the show to discuss backups and how Rubrik is engineered. Enterprises that start backing up to the cloud through Rubrik start a path towards potentially more cloud services. For enterprises that have not been able to move to the cloud yet, this can be an appealing opportunity. This was a great episode. We discussed product development, distributed systems, engineering, product development, how things are going at Rubrik, which is a super fast-growing company. Really a lot of different areas we touched. Software Engineering Daily is looking for sponsors for Q3. If your company has a product or a service, or if you're hiring, Software Engineering Daily reaches 23,000 engineers listening daily. Send me an email, jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com. I would love to hear from you. Kenny Toe is a founding engineer at Rubrik. Kenny, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hi, thanks for having me. A core focus of your company, Rubrik, is a backup. What is a backup? So a backup to a business is basically insurance. It's insurance that the data that you rely on to operate your business will be there when you need it. It won't be corrupt. Uh, it won't be lost, uh, even in the event of you know natural disasters or human errors that may have caused uh, deletions or kind of corruptions. Okay. And what are the conditions under which a company would have to use a backup? The most likely scenario I'd say these days is actually human error. I mean, hardware failures are actually rare enough. Hard disk failures do happen, but most systems are built with redundancy now. So I'd say the most common would be somebody made a mistake, and so they deleted a file they shouldn't have, or they changed something they shouldn't have, and they need a point-in-time copy to restore from. Rubrik was founded in 2014. What was the standard operating procedure for companies that wanted to have backups in place in 2014? So this was arguably a pretty icky story, and that's what most of our customers well, most of our future customers still face today. So there were a lot of moving parts, for one thing. They'd have to buy, let's say, a, they'd have to look through a storage vendor to get the storage for actually storing the backups. They'd look for some deduplication engine to ensure they utilize the storage efficiently. They'd look for a backup application itself for driving the, you know, scheduling the backup jobs, taking the backups, making the copies, uh, managing a catalog. That catalog itself would typically be stored on another database, and they also need servers to operate the backup software itself. So there are four or five moving parts here. They'll very frequently come from many different vendors, different vendors for each of them. You know, to set this up, if if you were a customer before Rubrik, this is after actually buying from each of the four different vendors. To set this up, then you'd have typically a month or two of actually either hiring your own consultant or working with with the post sales team at each of these different vendors to you know do the installations, do the configurations, connect all these parts together. That's just to get set up. And then over the lifetime of actually managing and using these backups, it would typically be pretty complicated. You'd have to do, you as the customer would have to do a lot of work 
in connecting to the different things that you want to back up, staying up to date and setting up new jobs each time something else happened uh, or a new application came in, as well as handling the kinds of ex exceptions of, you know, I can't take a backup this week because, or this particular night because there's a critical application or event going on, so I need to reschedule. Just managing all this was also basically a full-time job. So with Rubrik coming in, uh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, we'll get to Rubrik in a sec. I, I am curious just a little bit more about these legacy solutions, kind of like the conditions under which Rubrik was created. Did the did the legacy solutions lack any functionality, or was the problem just really bad user experience, all this coordination with different companies, like bad UIs? Did they actually get the job done? Yes and no. So if you did go through all that work and if you did invest everything you needed to get set up, they would usually get the job done with one exception. What uh, a lot of customers actually didn't do, even if they theoretically did everything else right, is they didn't test restore. And so it's kind of a well-known, well, I hope it's a well-known fact in the backup industry that backup is actually easy and restore is hard. So... A lot of these solutions, even after you did everything right, you know, a couple of years later, if you did have a disaster and you needed to restore, you'd actually find that, yes, the backup, you know, theoretically, each of the uh, different pieces did their jobs and you have backups. But for w one reason or another, restoring from them is actually either impossible or actually very, very difficult. So I'd say the main functionality that actually is missing, you know, even if you take away all the complexity and all the management and like dealing with multiple vendors, the main thing that actually was still missing from a lot of the legacy solutions is easy restores. Mm. So under those conditions, how did the first version of the Rubrik product come to pass? Can you clarify what you mean by that, actually? Uh, sorry, I should have just said that more simply. What was the first version of Rubrik when you guys decided you were going to build a better backup software product? Okay, got it. So we took on these two aspects, these two uh, primary aspects, making a very simple and integrated package together, which at the time we called converged data management, converged as in all the pieces come together. And then as far as the restore functionality, our first and very, you know, very distinct feature, what, what we brought to the market was our instant recover feature. And so we targeted, I'm not sure how much, how familiar you are with the ecosystem. So the first type of application that we targeted backing up is VMware virtual machines. And that's because they're by far the most common. I mean, every enterprise today has some VMware going on somewhere. It's where the main, it's where a lot of their main applications run. So it's, it was the most important workload to target. And so the first version of Rubrik was effectively very simple VMware backup and recovery with uh, this unique feature of instant recovery. And so instant recovery is our, and today is still a very important feature for us, uh, is that and a with a traditional restore, even if everything is going well, the user would have to go into the backup storage and trigger some trigger some functionality to copy all the data out. This would be multiple, you know, several terabytes of data out from the what we call secondary storage back into the primary storage where it's going to be used. And this would take hours and hours, and those hours are actually basically business downtime. So what Rubrik has done is, as our as one of our first features was actually make this an instant option. So our our converged storage, since it comes with a little bit of compute and just enough to get you started, can actually restore an entire VM, you know, in spite of it being several terabytes, can restore it, you know, within a minute. It's not, you know, it's not what we consider primary storage. It's not where you would want to keep it running long term, but it actually at least 
the term is RTOs. It lowers the uh, recovery time objective, which means that the business is at least up and running, even if in kind of a, what's the term for it? A, a sort of degraded mode. So the, the business would be up in a degraded mode, but at least they would be there. Whereas with a traditional restore, they'd just be completely down for the next few hours. So a lot of the shows that I've done on Software Engineering Daily are with two categories of companies. One one of the categories is some startup that's either really early and doing something like new and weird or they're in the scaling position. And then I've also done a bunch of shows with companies like Amazon and Google and Facebook and so on. The, these companies that kind of have the the infrastructure of the future, but it leaves out this large gap of what we call enterprises. And so there is this whole category of software stack that I haven't really explored, and that is the kind of software stack that companies like Oracle and VMware and Nutanix deliver to, and I think Rubrik plays in that same space. And so you mentioned this prototypical use case where the customer has their infrastructure, the developers are are working in VMware instances, uh, can you give shed a little more light on what their infrastructure looks like? Like, where are those virtual machines running? And if you want to back up a virtual machine, where are you inserting yourself and taking snapshots so that you can have something to back up to? Uh, yeah, I'd be happy to describe that. And actually, I'm glad you brought it up because I agree. It's actually a, a very big gap from my point of view in the understanding of kind of the tech world today. It, it does seem like here in Silicon Valley, we tend to focus on you know, the, the kind of the new age infrastructure that most of our, our Silicon Valley startups use and which Amazon and Google and Facebook push very well. But there's this whole other world of like every other company that's not a big tech, either a tech startup or a big tech company, basically exactly what you call enterprises. And they, you know, they tend to be moving in the direction of, you know, the AWS and the uh, Azure clouds. Uh, but they're still, you know, because they're businesses, they're not, you know, they're not focused entirely on software they do still have a lot of what we might consider legacy. And actually what's legacy to us is actually the bread and butter of their operations. And so what the stack looks like, to answer your question, these days, in you know, ever since VMware showed up, I guess a little over a decade ago, VMware has become, it's what I, I guess I call it the VMware and Microsoft stack. So most businesses now will have the majority of their applications virtualized. So they'll be running VMware as their hypervisor, so that's what's on the bare metal. VMware has a few components, namely vCenter, to manage all of these hosts. Then the VMs that they're actually running are going to be kind of traditional Microsoft VMs. Before VMware came around, these would have been physical Microsoft hosts, Now, so now they're virtual. And so these traditional uh, kind of Microsoft, this Microsoft ecosystem, I guess the centerpiece would be Active Directory, which stores all of their user accounts, stores their contact information, email addresses. Uh, then right on top of that, they'll have Exchange you know, Exchange instead of uh, Gmail or uh, or anything else. Uh, so Exchange would have their actual email content, their calendars, things like that. Uh, that's, and that's kind of just to get the kind of the people side of the business up and running. Then there's always, always going to be some, I mean, because that's a small amount of data. There's There's always a much larger footprint, which really depends more on what the business is doing. Uh, so one of the more common pieces may be Microsoft SharePoint, which basically is kind of, an enterprise's equivalent of having a wiki system and Dropbox all kind of converged into one. 
And so that's kind of the most general purpose application, I'd say. But really, it definitely depends on kind of what industry they're in. They may have a lot of uh, kind of enterprise CRM or ERP types of applications, or they may have some, you know, if they're in manufacturing or healthcare or something, it'll be something very specific to managing the logistics of manufacturing or healthcare. I imagine that government does a lot that's pretty unique. I'm not too familiar. I know that there are, you know, there, there are other sectors like legal, which will be focused entirely on kind of the documents that they manage, uh, the sheer number of documents that they have just for each of the clients that they have. And so where do you insert yourself? Like, because you've got all these people that are on uh, uh, some stack where they've got a virtual machine and the virtual machine's running all kinds of applications. Where does the backup strategy fit in? So the way Rubrik works, we, we our primary offering is a converged appliance, although we're, we're also now extending into uh, cloud offerings. Uh, so converged so, appliance, what does that mean? So it's a... It's so all those four vendor, four or five vendors that I described earlier. It's everything built into one one unit, more or less, one scale out unit. So it's there's a the, hardware box. Yeah. So there's a hardware box, but it's not just hardware with kind of general purpose compute. It's also capacity optimized storage as well as flash for performance optimization, plus the you know that deduplication and kind of content management software that I mentioned that utilizes the storage efficiently. Plus, at the very top of it all is the actual backup and recovery application, which drives backup jobs, uh, configures the policies that the user wa- wants, and then you know reads the data from the environment uh, into our into our storage. Then also offers the feature through our REST APIs to recover this data into either their primary environment or uh, running off our uh, live storage as well. When you come in and install this for the enterprises. What exactly is happening? Like, what's the process for getting them onboarded to a situation where they can install a backup under any sort of circumstances where otherwise they would have uh, lost data or whatnot? Sure. So our process, unlike the the legacy process, will probably take about a day if everything is optimistic, and most of that day is actually spent on just you know the actual hardware side of racking and stacking and getting the right people into the right rooms and such. So once our, once our appliance or multiple appliances are actually set up hardware-wise, connected to the network, then we'll, we'll have the user, the customer, go through kind of what we call cluster bootstrap. I'm not, like, I'm not a huge fan of that term. It's a little technical sounding. I guess it's, it's sort of an initialization process where they'll set up the IP addresses that they want for our box They'll configure some basic things like, you know, how do I talk to my Active Directory environment? I guess to some extent what, I forget what our actual walkthrough looks like now. Skipping a couple of details, the main part they'll get to is, you know, then they decide to connect which kind of applications they want to be backing up. And so for the case of VMware, which is still the most common, they'll just enter their vCenter credentials. So this is just a username or password that their, their organization has granted for their backup to use. They'll enter those into Rubrik, then Rubrik will go and scan their vCenter. And this is actually a very, very exhaustive scan that shows us a lot. So just by scanning the vCenter, we can pretty much see all the VMs that are uh, of interest. And from that point, we can we had let them just drag and drop VMs into policies that they define. And so these policies will be according to business requirements. Like, uh, I mean, we, we come with some default built-ins, like gold, which we call gold, silver, and bronze, just as a high level of what kind of SLA they expect for their backups. 
generally a higher SLA will have more frequent backups and longer retention. And so they'll choose the policy then uh, by dragging and dropping VMs into them. This will take them about 15 minutes. And then once that's done, there's actually nothing else they have to do. From that point on, Rubrik will proactively figure out which jobs are necessary based and figure out the timings. Then each of these jobs will connect to the vCenter uh, using those same credentials to basically use VMware's APIs to get access to the underlying data of these VMs, and then also use VMware APIs to read that data in. And once we've read the data in and the data is on our system, that's where Rubrik just takes over and there's no more interaction with VMware or in general with whichever application we're backing up. And as I understand, after you get that data in a state where it can be backed up, you can also index the backup context contents into something that can be searched and I guess that's a useful value add. Explain why that's useful. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I actually had forgotten about that because we've been focusing entirely on kind of the backup, but we've we've never really considered Rubrik to be a backup company, and that's why we we say we're data management. So kind of our, our foot in the door for a customer and something that just brings them value from day one is you know offering backup something that's a core business need, but something that they often don't realize is very useful is to actually get value out of their backups. It's not just data that you have to pay for, you know, and you, you buy these rubric boxes or alternatively uh, incumbent boxes uh, just in case something goes wrong like a year later, just so that you can, you know, it, it feels like kind of an expense. It feels like a high cost just for insurance, if you get what I'm saying. And so we offer these value adds on top of backups too. So uh, search is definitely one of them and it's really the main one that differentiates us. So because of the fact that we, we started with this live mount functionality, that actually made it very easy for us to build indexing and search on top of this compared to other uh, vendors, with, you know, because it would have taken hours to do the restore. It's not really practical to constantly index these things. But since we offer instant, instant access to the data, one of our very first kind of non-backup features was to offer uh, file search and recovery within the backups that we take. And so the experience for, so even if somebody's not a backup admin, the experience of just being able to search through kind of old archives of their, of their VMs or their applications and find kind of this particular file. I mean, the, we all know the value of search, right? You don't know exactly what you're searching for, but you enter a search term, then you see a lot of results. This, this being instantaneous is kind of a, essential to search being useful because you often search one term, realize that you don't get the results you want, then quickly search for another term. Uh, and so you, you go through a few cycles of this, and that's how you actually identify what you need. Uh, and then on, once you've identified what you need, then you can actually go through the full recovery or even an individual file recovery if that's what you're looking for. Sure. Now, we're kind of glossing over a lot of the software architecture, so I'd like to understand in a little bit more detail, what does it mean to take a snapshot of a VM and how aggressively do you have to do that? How are those VM backups being snapshotted and, and ver do you version them? Just give me some overview for the for the process of taking these snapshots, storing them, perhaps garbage collecting old VM snapshots, the whole picture. So we think about what snapshots are. A snapshot is pretty much a full point in time reference of a given you know VM or application, whatever you want to think of, or even just a set of files at that point in time. And ultimately what backups are from a user point of view is 
a collection of these point in time snapshots, right? So if I if I as a business have my exchange environment backed up, then what I see in in the rubric UI uh, is that over the last two years, I have you know at least one snapshot per month of this exchange data. Now, if this exchange data was originally you know like let's say it's you know five terabytes of e uh, user emails and other other data that comes in, but if you have you know about one one full snapshot per month over the last two years, and that's twenty four copies of this five terabyte data, and that's actually a huge amount. I mean, you you as a customer wouldn't actually have a primary system which has five terabytes of raw hard disk capacity, and likewise, I mean, you're not going to pay twenty times that just to have backups either. And so, in order for this to be economical at all, it's really table stakes. All kind of backup solutions have to have some form of deduplication going on. And some form of, as you point out, uh, managing of the of the actual snapshots involved to actually to actually expire and consolidate old older data that's not needed anymore. And so, a lot of what I forget what your original question is, but a lot of what so what take the act of taking a snapshot is actually comparatively simple. It's telling the the application or VMware or whatever the workload is, telling the VMware to bring the data into a consistent state so that when we read it, it's actually valuable data rather than just kind of uh, intermediate data that didn't actually mean anything to anybody. So that, the act of taking a snapshot is simple. That creates, that basically freezes the data into a consistent state. Then we read it into Rubrik. But where we do a lot of work is the actual data management. Uh, because if we were to store you know, this five terabytes, this five terabyte logical copy naively, we would very, very quickly run out of storage. So a large amount of uh, what we do on the back end, which is entirely within the rubric box, is you know what what we call managing the data is first to first what deduplication is is that even though even when you have you know multiple logical copies of the same data, usually not all of it has changed in you know since the last time you looked at it. So at the very at the very first level, what everybody certainly does mm -hmm. is track only the few things that have changed. So in the exchange example only the new emails are actually what's changed. You don't actually have five terabytes of new emails every day. You, may, you maybe have a, a couple gigabytes of new emails uh, each day. So that's the first level. Uh, that's honestly where the biggest savings come from. But then you still, even when you do this, you still run into issues where over time, if you're taking backups every day, over time this still does add up because if you're growing at you know five gigabytes a day, you do that, you add that up over, over a couple of years, that'll still come out to utilizing all your storage. And so this is where expiration and consolidation come in. And so there's a lot of logic that you kind of computation that you do with, with these deltas in order to f identify the fact that, okay, well, although I've gotten five gigabytes of changes each day, every day for the last month, if I only want to retain one copy according to the policy, then I'm going to figure out that, okay, well, here are the two points in times that I do actually care about and, ev and everything, all the changes that went on in between if you know if they're kind of overlapping changes, then I don't actually need to keep you know the full record of changes that have gone on in between. I'm only going to keep the two endpoints. I'm I'm obviously glossing over a lot of the details for how this computation That's works, okay. but but that is the idea that what this effective data management at the local level is is basically what it comes down to at the end of the day is finding a way to efficiently store and ultimately to restore the data that. Logically, is very very huge because it's many 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 point in time copies, but in some way we and that's what we focus on a lot is to reduce this data so that the physical footprint actually doesn't have to be so big. 
And so do you take those so those backups that are sitting now in an appliance on premise with the rest of the enterprise then do you copy those backups again to the cloud so that you have an off-premise backup yeah that's exactly right so something that we haven't talked about yet is uh, and something that uh, customers are also very interested in from rubric in addition to just being backup and recovery is to be kind of a path to leveraging the cloud because I mean every business does want these days does want to leverage the economies of cloud. I mean you see the prices that S3 offers, similar things like Glacier and Google Storage. These are very attractive to them, and there's also a very obvious use case for having this off-premise storage, as you point out, which is basically disaster recovery. That you know in case a hurricane or more likely total like power outage and power surge occurs. You want to, which you know, which wipes out your entire data center. You want to still be sure that you have something out there, something that's off-site to cover all your bases. And so, yeah. So the other, the other big side of Rubrics data management is not just kind of optimizing how we store things locally, but actually pushing things out to the cloud so that customers can start uh, putting their footprint into the cloud as well. And so this is a, a it's actually a pretty similar process. So we have two features related to this. They're called replication and archival. Replication is designed for kind of, lot, in some sense, live replication, keeping all of basically a full copy uh, readily available, either in the cloud or on another uh, on-prem data center. And archival is more focused on trying to push only the older bits, uh, the ones that are less likely to, be, to need to be restored, but which, you know, for peace of mind, you kind of want a copy anyway, kind of pushing these older bits off to cheaper storage. And so these days, actually, our replication and archive, archival features have actually kind of blurred together, as well as our cloud versus off-site on-prem targets. So I'd actually generalize that to say that now rubric data management, in addition to the local optimizations, is also really heavily involved in just, in general, pushing the current snapshots out to some remote location, whether that be cloud, it can be one of multiple clouds, or a customer's other data center, and then also doing the same management now that the data lives in multiple sites. Because all these problems that I discussed, uh, that I described about doing the deduplication, computing deltas, consolidating and expiring the deltas that are in the middle, now this applies equally uh, on the remote end. Because even though you know, S3 is cheap, you still don't necessarily want to, you as a customer, don't really want your S3 bill to just climb forever. Uh, <laughs> just because. And so Rubrik helps to manage that as well. And it's a very similar problem, but with different challenges because now it's all done remotely instead of uh, on the local box. Yeah, that's a pretty interesting problem. So does the enterprise, so the enterprise now that we've described more of this product is the enterprise is getting their VMs snapshotted and saved to this on-premise appliance, and then the appliance is sending the backups to a cloud service like S3 and storing the VMs, uh, the VM back snap snapshot backups on that cloud store storage solution. So th- there's a lot of interesting things that we could approach from here now that we've talked about these these different product offerings. I guess, you know, I'm curious, does the enterprise, typical enterprise that you work with, do they care what cloud service their stuff is getting uh, thrown onto? Do they want control over that cloud service or do they just want some opaque... Like, are they okay with just being like, yeah, we're interfacing with Rubrik, and yeah, Rubrik, just go find whatever's the cheapest 
S3 bucket equivalent or storage bucket. We All we care about is some opaque backup solution. Like, How involved do they want to be with what you're doing under the covers with some cloud provider? Good question. I think what I've seen is that it's actually it actually varies. So some customers will have stronger requirements and stronger kind of pickiness about the cloud they choose and how much they control it, and others will have less. Uh, right now, I think as we're kind of pushing more to early adopters, the ones who are ready to get into the cloud and the ones that, that are more opinionated, I think we would lean a little towards being picky. But I think we, we have been hearing customers who just don't care, who just want whatever the cheapest solution is. So to expand on that, the ones who are a little more picky are usually those who already have a footprint in the cloud for one thing, and so they just want to reuse that account. They don't want to deal with you know multiple accounts. Or they can have kind of local regulatory requirements about which clouds they're allowed to use. For example, some, I mean, we are an international business by now. Uh, so some, some countries have regulations that you must use a cloud with a local presence, for example. So we, we see a fair amount of being picky these days, but we have definitely heard a couple who just think, well, I just want to figure out what the lowest cost option is. And sometimes that can even actually be an, uh, an on-prem object storage. And so mm-hmm. there are vendors these days that sell, do sell on-prem object stores. There are also lar- uh, larger enterprise clients who will even build their own on-prem object stores because they, you know, they, they started their business before object stores became commodity. So they'll have kind of similar S3-compatible on-prem stores that they use in-house that they, that they want to use. Well, you know, what's funny is I did a show recently with, uh, about Microsoft's IoT stuff, and they now have an offering or maybe they've had it for a while, where it's like on-prem. It's basically Azure on-prem, and a lot of companies actually want this. They want, I mean, if not for just like compliance reasons, like for having an on-prem cloud, they want it for latency reasons. Like for the discussion with the IoT people is, is you know, you want your machine, you might want your machine learning models hosted on-prem because the latency is going to be so much less if you're querying that machine learning model for something that's like really mission critical like some yep. some kind of like hazard control system or a centrifuge control system something like that yeah definitely uh the the quality of the network connection between kind of the, the application and the, the data that's being stored does matter a lot in some app, in some certain use cases so i can definitely imagine iot being pretty latency sensitive maybe maybe also throughput sensitive as well. And so this actually is one of the challenges that we, we hear uh, for a lot of businesses that are, that are trying to move into the cloud and something that even we internally at Rubrik kind of face as we shift some of our internal workloads between the cloud uh, and on-prem is that the, this network in between these two locations becomes a very quick bottleneck, or, or sorry, very quickly becomes a bottleneck. And it actually is a pretty interesting and unique challenge in itself. And this is something that we're starting to tackle as well. I mean, I don't, I don't think I can reveal too much, but we recognize the fact that this uh, basically data center sprawl is starting to become a problem as we, as we enable customers to leverage all these other kind of storage technologies. And so I, we think there's work to be done in that area as well. So you don't have to go into specifics, but can you characterize... So, uh, you know, another interesting topic we've explored a little bit on on this show is the idea that as we get things like self-driving cars everywhere and drones everywhere, you know, one way to think about these drones and these self-driving cars is they're, they're roaming data centers. And, you know, I use those as examples to characterize that there is... You know, we're going from a place where there's 
cloud and on-prem to a place where there's cloud on-prem and then everything in between. There's yeah. uh, you know, self-driving cars that are basically data centers on wheels. There's drones that are data centers in the sky. And then there's just your smartphone, which has tons, which is a really powerful computer that has tons of un unutilized CPU cycles you could be doing stuff with. Maybe storage is getting better on the phone and maybe people aren't utilizing their storage enough. You could maybe have some kind of peer-to-peer storage solution. But anyway, the point I make is just that the gradient between cloud and on-prem is thickening. And as you described it, data center sprawl is is only going to get worse. So can you like shed some light on the conversations you're having with these companies about the pro- I guess the problems that they're having with that data center sprawl or or how they're solving those problems? So the physical challenge I described, I'm not sure, to be honest, what what is being done in these areas. And even within Rubrik, I think we're still kind of spinning our, uh, spinning our wheels on that. But I, I, c- I can say that there's definitely also kind of a more logical and management problem, which is that if you're a business now, especially if, you know, if you're managing IT for a given business, and now you're dealing with basically exactly the sprawl that from, you know, from, even just from the point of view of Rubrik, you have your server data, which traditionally was stored in exactly one location, which is now going to be stored actually in one primary location plus one secondary, but still on-prem location plus one or more clouds. That's just for your server data. Then you also have your user data, which, you know, not too long ago was almost entirely on a combination of desktops and file shares. Now it's on desktops, laptops, smartphones, tablets, uh, any other new devices that come in. And so there's a pretty clear and big management problem with this, which is that you, you as somebody, as an IT admin responsible for, you know, knowing uh, where data lives and knowing who's responsible for which piece of data and knowing, you know, what policies you want to apply to the data and how, how you enforce these, whether it's from a security point of view or a backup's point of view, this is getting pretty, pretty complicated. And so Rubrik's answer to this aspect of the problem is something you alluded to earlier that, you know, some customers don't really care about what's going on behind the scenes, whether it's cloud or whether it's some other on-prem site or, you know, whether it's local data. What they do see and what they do appreciate is Rubrik being that single pane of glass uh, for all of this data together uh, and being, you know, a one-stop shop for whatever their data needs actually are. So the more they put into Rubrik, you know, today we're still primarily focused on server data, but for a given server that's managed, that has its data managed by Rubrik, they can be kind of assured that the one place they need to worry about going to is Rubrik, uh, is the Rubrik UI or the Rubrik API. Then they can, you know, view whatever the report they need to from there, and they'll have a kind of a holistic view of that logical piece of data, no matter how many other different places it lives in. So strategically, that opens up Rubrik to you guys could either look at the different cloud providers and always find the lowest cost like if if your cust- if if rubik's customer only cares about the opaque backup and application hosting service that like rubik if rubik is essentially a platform as a service to these companies you could just find the lowest cloud provider or you could build your own cloud are there any strategies that you guys have settled on at this point or are you mostly just kind of focused on I don't know. Yeah, talk more about that. <laughs> so that's where I probably can't reveal too much, but I can say I okay, right. what's public and what we what we have tactically today is I think we've announced our 3.2 and soon later in this year will be 4.0. So to, as of today, what's uh, what we'll have is mostly tactical, which is we give customers the option to choose, you know, whichever cloud they want. And so we're 
for the past year, basically the last uh, 12 months or so in the last few releases, we've been focusing on just expanding our service area so that customers can choose just exactly whichever functionality that they need from us. And so this, the point is we've been focused entirely on actually having the functionality, uh, whereas a year ago we, we were actually a much narrower focused product. Uh, so after we build the functionality, what we're also starting to spin, our, you know, spin up our R&D on is actually figuring out exactly what strategy makes sense for, in addition to offering the functionality, making this very, very simple, very opaque, very easy, very easy for Rubrik to be the one-stop shop. Uh, which can include, as you kind of allude, can include these kind of more creative options where, you know, if a customer doesn't necessarily care which cloud they pick, do we, do we in fact pick one for them or do we in fact operate one for them as well? So rather than talking about big, ambitious, futuristic product development things, let's talk about lower level concerns. What kinds of, so, so the CAP theorem, this distributed systems trade-off scheme, it's basically shorthand for, you know, there's all kinds of trade-offs that you need to make between consistency, availability, and partition tolerance. Basically, if you want to be consistent, then that often means you're going to be less available. So, you know, if you're taking snapshots really aggressively, or sorry, if you if you want to be extremely up-to-date every time a user asks you for a snapshot that might mean that you're not always available to restore a snapshot. But I guess you could talk more generally, what are the kinds of trade-offs, the, dis- the, the distributed systems trade-offs you make in terms of how aggressively you snapshot and you know what kinds of data loss you're willing to actually tolerate? Yeah, I guess just, just explore that discussion. Sure, I'd, I'd love to. Uh, so, uh, sorry, uh, so we should probably offer some background, actually. So the reason why the CAP theorem applies to Rubrik is that, you know, in addition to being so simple, uh, something that I haven't talked about that much is the fact that we're a scale-out platform. Uh, so scale-out means we're, we are a horizontal architecture. This is one of the ways that we're actually just very forward-facing compared to some of the more legacy incumbent solutions, which were, you know, they were built on architectures, you know, in the 90s and in, in the early 2000s. And so they have their scalability limits, and so for customers, the main impact of this is that it's very difficult for them to either plan for the capacity that they need or to upgrade the capacity later, because uh, they basically have to do these forklift upgrades where they rip and replace everything and buy a bigger box next year when they have more needs. So rubric is scale out in the sense that, uh, from a customer's point of view, they can either you know they can start with a bare minimum today, which would be three or four nodes, but in the future, if you know if they need if they if their needs grow. They'll just add another three or four nodes or whatever number makes sense for them. And so they don't actually have to, you know, pre-plan, plan, basically upfront plan for exactly how much they're going to grow in each year to be cost effective. So because rubric is scale out, this does mean we're a distributed system. And that's where the CAP theorem applies. Uh, this is a pretty famous theorem, but often kind of misquoted, misunderstood. So as you say, it, it, the main trade-off it is, it's describing is, the, is basically choosing between you know, in certain scenarios of something going down, usually you're, you'd be thinking of either a node going down or a, a network connection uh, going down. So in those situations, the generalization of it is that you're, you're going to be forced to choose between consistency and availability. So if you think about it, uh, as, far as, like, as far as why the cap theorem makes sense, it, it's kind of intuitive that you, you have this trade-off because, you know, if something did go down, then you have to lose something. And so you're either losing just access to that data or you're losing some kind of guarantee about how, you know, how, how current or how consistent that data is. 
So as far as mostly what we've chosen with Rubrik and what I think is arguably kind of the trend these days, you know, for those who stay, stay up to date on kind of the latest database research topics, I think a lot of companies these days are choosing consistency, and that's what Rubrik has done as well. Kind of the trend towards consistency is the realization, I think, like broader than Rubrik is the, uh, is the realization that availability without consistency just often isn't very useful and often actually, <laughs> right? I mean, if you don't actually care if you get your data if I mean, if you know, if you have no promise at all that it is the correct copy of the data, or that uh, you're, you know, it reflects all the most recent updates, things like that. So, for one thing, it, yeah. For, so, for both Rubrik and for the broader industry, uh, we're all starting to realize that consistency or availability without consistency isn't particularly valuable. And also, moreover, from kind of an internal-facing software engineering point of view, we're we're all starting to realize that when you have availability and and weak consistency. And then you force your application developers to write these workarounds for those, you know, not so optimal consistencies. Then you actually end up having like very hairy, very messy, like hacky code that's really difficult to maintain. Actually, it uh, it always has you know weird bugs that get introduced or weird interactions that go on, and then that's actually even worse. Then then you actually can almost guarantee that the data is inconsistent uh, at some level, whether it's at the API level or later once you do some processing. So I'd say for the most part, we've chosen consistency, but I'd say that also certainly brings a lot of challenges because I think a lot of the problems that we do face, you know, especially things that come up in the field, uh, since we, we sell our product into, you know, customer data centers, we're not, we don't get the luxury of like Google or Facebook where we're operating our own data center and we, you know, we make, we maintain everything to the highest standards. And so outages or network partitions are very rare we actually sell into a customer environment and so we don't have control over that. And so a lot of bad things do happen in these environments. We'll have silly things like a power went out on this particular rack or this particular node or the network or the network really did go out because uh, like what we call a layer one problem where somebody just actually pulled the cable or the cable got damaged. Or also certainly plenty of software problems with either the things that we talk to or the or the components within our own nodes. And so a big problem that we do face since we I mean, I guess we're improving on it these days, but a, a big problem we've often faced is that since we've chosen consistency, we often do end up sacrificing availability in a very visible way. And so we've had quite a few field cases of, you know, a customer uh, experiencing that their their wet, their UI for Rubrik is completely inaccessible, or that their backups their backup jobs start, but then something fails, and then they can't write the data into the database. So we face these kinds of issues. I think more often than the likes of Google or Facebook because of the fact that you know more things can go wrong in these environments. Now, eventually, you're going to have to compete, or maybe you're already competing with, the backup solutions that are offered by Amazon and Google cloud products, maybe Microsoft cloud products. And I know that today they are doing stuff like with the, the Snowball, I guess, like the Amazon Snowball where they send you this thing that you like pipe all your data into and you can have a big backup of it uh i, I don't know much about these products maybe you could talk about and i think that what is there there's the other service where like amazon brings a like a a big truck with a bunch of servers on it and then they just like they pipe all your data out of your data center into their truck and then they drive <laughs> off and put it in a data center or something like that can you talk a bit about these other like what the actual cloud providers themselves are offering in terms of this 
sort of backup area. I know that's not like exactly the same thing because you're sort of offering this way that gets you gradually off of like gets you gradually into the cloud by way of offering a backup service. It's a very creative way of like getting a toehold into these enterprises and eventually offering them cloud services. But maybe you could talk about what the cloud providers are actually offering. Uh, yeah, that's actually very, very interesting. And it might be surprising, I mean, from an outsider point of view right now, but we don't see, you know, Amazon or the other cloud providers uh, offering backup or backup-like services. We don't actually see them as competitors, certainly not today. And even looking into the future where we assume more services are virtualized or sorry, are moved into the cloud, even then it, we don't, they don't feel like a competitor. And right now, actually, in the case of Snowball, for example, we're treating them actually as a partner. And so I don't remember if we chose to release this. I hope I'm not revealing too much, but we did actually have an internal project. It started as a hackathon project to actually integrate with the Snowball. And so we had a, uh, we entered the Amazon trial uh, to get a Snowball in-house, started playing with it, started understanding its capabilities, and actually built a tool to actually integrate the Rubrik S3 archival feature with the Snowball. I, I think it's really interesting. I, I think the... As you say, like it's 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 kind of a funny sight seeing Amazon, you know, build these kinds of features, build the actual snowball, build or offer the services of having a big truck come out to you and kind of have a temporary mobile data center that you can archive to and then uh, ship it off to Amazon. I think, I mean, if I were to say like why it hasn't felt like a competitor so far, I'd say the main thing is, I guess, that Amazon's purpose isn't necessarily for backup, and I'd say. Backup isn't just the the storage that's involved. Amazon really wants to get you onto their cloud, but they don't. They're not as opinionated about what you do there, whether what you call that is backup or just storing a DR copy, or for that matter, actually their primary. Uh, the main thing that I think they're trying to get customers onto is to do their primary workload on Amazon anyway. And so, you know, even if the storage, I mean, even if the storage is on Amazon, because you can actually look at that uh, compared with our own archival feature today, we've. We've had S3 archival since almost year one, and so we've never considered that to be in any way a competition for what we sell, even though we sell on-prem storage as well. Mm. We recognize that the on-prem side of Rubrik is far more expensive, basically, than S3, and that's why customers you know, will buy Rubrik and then buy, buy our feature to archive to S3. And so I, I think the realization is that there's like, there are a lot of different things going on with both the back world and the cloud world. And that certainly Amazon has a part in actually moving the data and hosting the data and being kind of the sheer economies of scale host of that data. But there's still a lot of services that so far doesn't look like Amazon is that interested in and the other cloud providers aren't interested in. But that we, uh, as somebody kind of focused on the backup and the management aspects of these things, still offer a pretty large value add. You know, it's so funny that I I have a lot of trouble understanding, like, who are competitors and who are not competitors and who are like co-opetition. So like I was at a Microsoft build conference recently and I was just like walking around the expo hall and there was one demo, some, I can't remember which Microsoft cloud service was demoing me. I, Oh, I think it was like, uh, was it was HD insight or something, but you know, he pulled up on the screen. He's like, okay, so here we're going into the Azure, you know, Amazon Azure cloud dashboard and he showed me the marketplace, and and he's like, "Here's how you install the Cloudera, you know, Hadoop distribution on Azure." And I was like, "Oh, 
you know, because I was assuming Cloudera is just an outright competitor with Azure, but actually it's, you know, there's there's kind of, you know, it's like this, I, I, I don't know how, how you know, well-documented this is, or how maybe a lot of people know this and I'm just, you know, naive, but um, I guess it's just like this entire marketplace of things that are being layered onto cloud services and, you know, we're kind of in the early stages, but already you see, you know, I saw a partnership yesterday where it was like Box is offering Box in in concert with Azure and Azure is offering Box in, in concert with Azure. You just see, kind of see these like partnerships between the cloud providers, which are like, I mean, they're doing, they're certainly doing, you know, infrastructure as a service and they're also doing some stuff layered on top of it. But they're also showing that they're completely happy to offer competing platform as a service and software as a service products on top of on top of their infrastructure. Like they're they're perfectly willing to partner with stuff. So I don't know. It's it's I don't I don't have a question here, but it's it's just it's such an interesting area to watch develop. Yeah, I agree. It is actually very interesting, and it feels a little unique to the software industry, to be honest. And I, I mean, I agree. I'm still kind of. I've been thinking about this for a good while, uh, even before today as well. I don't really have a full answer to it myself, but I think you did kind of latch on to one of the one of the core reasons I think, which is the fact that software and services and everything related to uh, to these technologies has so many layers and so many pieces, so many use cases that there there actually is room for multiple companies which offer kind of very overlapping services to still both get the you know or all of them to still get the same customers. You know, I, I think layers in particular is where it gets interesting because, it, I mean, you know, for the examples you describe or for what we just talked about with Rubrik and Amazon, I think the recognition that there are multiple layers and the fact that different customers see different values out of different vendors of those different layers uh, gets interesting. So basically what it comes down to is, for example, you know, are you going to run Hadoop on Azure or are you going to, you know, Hadoop on top of Azure versus, you know, Microsoft's competitor to Hadoop on top of on-prem it's like there's just so many options, <laughs> right? There's so many options and so many permutations that if you're if you're one of these vendors, if you're Microsoft or Amazon or Rubrik, like you offer you know solutions for you know all the multiple layers of the stack, and you you know even though on the surface it sounds like you you don't like a competitor, you know you don't like your customers buying your comp- some competitor product for this for this other layer of the stack, you also kind of realize that at the same time. By being you know open to that, you are also getting more business because you get to uh, compete in this other area of the stack, which for whatever reason your your competitor on some other layer isn't that strong in. And so that, I agree, it's a very interesting dynamic you end up with where, like almost almost by default by by now, uh, like everybody is pretty much competition with everybody in some way. I think the main reason, actually, to be honest, I mean, I, since I've been following the industry for a long enough time too, I think the main like. One thing that's changed relatively compared to just, you know, let's, let's say 20 years ago when, you know, when I was just young and I was just kind of starting to learn about computers. Like in those days, if you remember, the attitude was actually kind of different. It was, uh, especially from Microsoft, which was, you know, just so dominant back then. Uh, Microsoft attitude was kind of Microsoft every everything for the whole stack or nothing. It was, uh, micro- it was very clear, I guess, objective from Microsoft to want to control the entire stack. Uh, whereas obviously th- things have changed now. I think there are more players. And now because there are more players, like everybody involved has started to realize that, yeah, we have some components that compete with each other. But at the same time, our customers seem to like that diversity. They seem to want 
something at the platform level. They have their preferences at the platform level, and they have another preference at the application level. And it's actually just a better kind of global picture uh, if we are willing to interoperate with each other's products uh, and let customers have the choice. It's kind of weird when you think about it also from, uh, I just realized this, consumer versus enterprise. Usually the, the wisdom today is that consumers actually don't want too much choice. That's confusing. That you know creates a headache for uh, you know researching which products they want. They want to pick from among one to three choices. But the interesting thing is for enterprise, it, it does seem to be different that uh, businesses would rather have choices between, you know, the 3x by 4x different permutations of different combinations you can put together and have that flexibility to actually, you know, get what exactly what suits their business. Okay, so I got one last question. It's late June 2017, and we're seeing some crazy stuff around ransomware, and you're also starting to see like a lot of vendors talk about okay our solution is good against ransomware do you have any thoughts on how big of a problem ransomware is going to be is this just going to be like a a short-term thing while companies kind of figure out how to defend against it or they move away from windows or whatever the solution is going to be or is this going to be like a an ongoing problem and because I and I can see backups as as being a pretty like good defense. Because okay, you get hit with ransomware, backup to before you were hit with ransomware. So yeah, two two answers to that question. I guess the first one, the direct answer is, I'm still keeping my eye on that situation as far as globally how big of a problem ransomware is. It's certainly trending right now, but it's hard for me to make out exactly what's going to happen. Because on the one hand, I see, I see kind of the big impact that it's been having. A couple of attacks. I mean, we had one actually, uh, or not we, but. The world kind of had one just yesterday, I think. So I see the big impact that's going on, and I see every uh, all the all the fuss that it's creating. It's hard to know if it's overhyped, right? Uh, and there are some signs that it might be overhyped, and you know, it may not be in my interest to say this for rubric, but it does feel a little bit like it might even be starting to fizzle out because you know, even for the incident yesterday, I'm kind of reading articles saying that well, you know, a lot of them just decided not to pay up or. You know, even for the larger attack a couple of months ago, a lot of the ones who were trying to pay just couldn't even find a way to pay, and so it it seems like it there it does seem like there is a component of hype, but it's that's why it makes it hard to say, you know, in the next five years how big of a problem this will be. So yeah, to, I I'm afraid I don't have a great answer to that, but because I myself am not, am not really sure either. Hmm. Uh, what I can say though, uh, the second part of that is how it does relate to rubric. You know, intuitively you do think backup should be the strong defense against ransomware. But one of the things that's actually surprisingly, uh, like this, this just kind of evolved organically for us, which has been also a differentiator in the, uh, for us in this ransomware area, is that in order for those backups to be effective, you actually have to be guaranteeing that they're immutable. Immutable meaning nothing uh, you know, in, outside of uh, Rubrik can possibly tamper with them. And this is huge because actually it turns out there, w- I mean, I don't remember if these are public, but there were some cases of customers using legacy backup vendors who thought they were protected because they had a backup, but then it turned out that not only did the ransomware corrupt their primary copy, but also their backup copy because of the fact that they weren't immutable. And so they actually didn't get that protection. And so we at Rubrik have been kind of pointing this out that we've had this kind of built in from day one because of our architecture. Uh, And that's been kind of a nice uh, piece of buzz for us as well. All right, Kenny. Well, it's been great talking to you. I enjoyed this conversation a lot, and I look forward to seeing what develops with Rubrik. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been fun. 